Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galletti. Brian C. Hales is a board-certified anesthesiologist in Layton, Utah. He graduated from Utah State University with a Bachelor's of Science in Biology and from the University of Utah College of Medicine. He authored Setting the Record Straight, Mormon Fundamentalism in 2008, and The Priesthood of Modern Polygamy, an LDS Perspective in 1992. Hales has published articles in Mormon Historical Studies, Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, and the Journal of Mormon History. Brian Hales is also webmaster of mormonfundamentalism.com and josephsmithspolygamy.com. Welcome. Well, thank you. I appreciate those. Thanks for coming on. So you are you are also adding to that list that you're an author of an article in, in The Interpreter. Yes, and let me just add that we have a new website. It's actually josephsmithspolygamy.org. Oh, dot org. And now. it's uh, it the dot com website actually just takes you to dot org now, but um, it's a brand new one with new content, and uh, it looks great, by the way. Well, I, we had a professional work on it, and my <laughs> wife, who is a professional editor, also edited everything. So the homegrown feel is hopefully given way to something a, a little higher level. So, <laughs> yeah, it looks excellent. Now, what what's some of the material that people could expect to find on either one of these sites? The uh, the pro- josephsmithpolygamy.org site has four main areas. One is it talks about the theology behind Joseph Smith's polygamy, and pretty much all of the authors who've written books on it on the past have assumed that Joseph was driven by libido. So there was no need to really talk about his theology behind it. None of them do. So this is a lot of newer material, but it's stuff that should have been dealt with all along in, in my view. The second area is history. There's quite a number of essays that start clear in 1830 going right up through through the martyrdom, and they're not long essays, but you can get a good idea of the histories. There's also biographies of all 35 of Joseph Smith's sealed wives. Um, the third section has the frequently asked questions, and having been involved with this topic for many years, there's about seven things I get asked over and over and over. Were there se- was there sexuality? What about 14-year-old wives? What about polyandry, which is the most common question? Uh, what about Emma Smith and Fanny Alger? And then is, is plural marriage needed for exaltation? Those are the seven topics there. And then I have a section on dialogues where I publish or I make available there Mike Quinn's uh, very long and, and well-researched treatise alleging Joseph Smith had a lot of sex and practiced sexual polyandry. And I also make available my own response to that, which is longer and and just as much researched. And then people can read them both if they want and make their own decisions. A lot of transparency. Yeah. Documentary transparency is what everybody needs on the topic of Joseph Smith and plural marriage. Um, there's also dialogues uh, with uh, me and uh, Dan Vogel, a uh, response to Gary Bergera's review of my books, and a response to Alan Water, uh, Rock Waterman, who I don't know, but seems like a really nice guy, but he and I disagree. <laughs> and there's one more on there, and I'm blocking on what it is. But uh, uh, anyway, we'll be adding to that list this interpreter article, which is a response to the Mormon fundamentalists and dissenters in general. Yeah. Well, and actually, you know, one of the things I wanted to kind of bring out is the fact that even your uh, entry, if you will, on the Mormon Scholars Testify website, you, you, you discuss, I mean, most of what you talk about in that entry has to do with your a- approach to polygamy and, and Joseph Smith's life. But I kind of want to back up and ask you, I mean, you are on this Mormon Scholars Testify site. 
Do you consider yourself a Mormon scholar? What, what, is, what does it take for someone to be a Mormon scholar? Good question. I was actually surprised when I was originally asked by Dan Peterson to create a, a short uh, testimony, if you will. And But then I went back, and I think there's several hundred people who have contributed yeah. to mm-hmm. the site. So then I, I thought, oh, well, Brian, you're not that special. On the other hand, <laughs> oh, I, I, I have been able to uh, try to see every known document dealing with Joseph Smith and plural marriage. And the only other person I think uh, who really has had that opportunity is Don Bradley, who was my, he wasn't a co-author, but he greatly assisted with the three volumes of Joseph Smith polygamy that came out a year ago. Um, and so that does allow me to, to try to address some of these issues and, and to say that I think when all of the evidence is presented, Joseph Smith does just fine. And by that, I mean he wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't contradict his own teachings. Um, I think he was a reluctant polygamist. He didn't want to do it. And there's certainly evidence to support that, uh, evidence that nobody has wanted to talk about because most of the authors want to portray him as a libertine. So anyway, that was that was something I could contribute as, as someone who's seen it all and and uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but, you know, Don Bradley wasn't even a member of the church when right. I hired him. He'd been – he'd asked to have his name removed before. It was He had an atheist moment. It had nothing to do with Mormon teachings. And yet here he had gone around and, and seen everything that I had seen, and he then was rebaptized. So it, it, it gave me an opportunity to kind of share a view of Joseph Smith that was positive, but also from somebody who knew about his polygamist activities. Well, with that being said, you have people that see this issue as certainly uh, a lightning rod. People have left the church because of it. They've certainly, it, the issue of polygamy has been a source of some people's uh, faith discomfort. And so I guess in the end, why? how is it that you have come to a faithful conclusion after all of you that you've seen? You know, I, I think I've approached it differently than a lot of scholars. I'm, I'm not a professional historian. Um, I, I was going through medical school, and immediately after, I, I was not looking at history as much as the teachings. And so I, I became converted to those. And that's a spiritual thing that you can't share and, and that people will, will uh, readily dismiss. And I understand that. But coming into the history, believing that it must somehow fit with the truths that I had believed from the theology side, I, I figured if I looked hard enough, the history would support it. And, and I found that. It's interesting because Don Bradley found a, a lot of documents nobody had ever quoted. Todd Compton, Mike Quinn, nobody had quoted these things, especially from like the Andrew Jensen papers and some things from Temple Lot. And the interesting thing is everything that we found, and there was a lot of significant things, um, I would say was supportive of the position that Joseph wasn't a hypocrite, that he was sincere and uh, it was supportive for believers like me. And, and it wasn't that we created this evidence. We just were able to find it and interpret it. And people are welcome to interpret it differently, but it's pretty plain that it's supportive. Let's let's move forward now because your article that you that you presented in the interpreter is entitled "Dissenters Portraying the Church as Wrong, So They Can Be Right Without It." Now, I imagine with your work in researching Joseph Smith's polygamy, you've encountered and you've alluded to the idea that you've had several critics and you've had to answer some of these critics. Is this article kind of an open letter to the people that you might call dissenters, or was this article designed to help support a more faithful individual? No, this is an open letter. I appreciate your characterizing it that way. I I would hand this to my Mormon fundamentalist friends and some who don't necessarily call themselves that but have left the church, dissenters. Um, There are a group of women who want to be um, 
ordained to the priesthood. And this, there's a lot in here for them as well. And dissenter is kind of a pejorative word, so I, I wish maybe we, I sh- could have chosen something else. Uh, I don't mean to be critical in it, but these are people who have left the church but don't necessarily want to leave its ch- teachings behind. And so they have created some kind of a parallel organization that embraces uh, much of what Joseph Smith taught and, and, and emphasizes some things and ignores others. And, and this could be a letter to them. Is this? Are you kind of characterizing rather these people almost like the we might find the great and spacious building people, or is it not that obvious? No, no, not at all. Um, these are well for the most part. I I know these people. They're good people. The most the vast majority are very good, believing. They they have faith. It's just misplaced, at least in my view. And these are individuals who. Um, and there, there's a pride element there, but I don't see them in the great and spacious building. I think okay. they're wandering around the tree saying, you know, I tasted this, but boy, there's, there's something over there that looks, looks a little better. So I'm checking it out kind of a thing. Gotcha. Well, you say early in the article, the, the following when speaking to reasons or motivations of these people, for lack of a better word, we're going to go with dissenters because that's what you use in the article. Uh, you say, usually... Uh, underlying their reasons for leaving is the belief that they possess superior knowledge, superior righteousness, superior priesthood power, superior practices, and or superior extra-worldly experiences than those found within the church. Before they can embrace this superiority, however, they must demonstrate that at some point the church and its membership have lost knowledge, righteousness, priesthood power, practices, and or worldly experiences, end quote. What then of the dissenter who maybe comes along and says, well, that doesn't sound like me. Uh, I'm not that way. Uh, I guess this article doesn't apply to me. Or maybe one that says, that's a pretty big, you know, huge umbrella to fit someone into. Just because I don't agree with Joseph Smith on polygamy doesn't mean that I feel that I'm superior to the church in some way. How would you respond to maybe the reader that reads these things and kind of challenges what you've written under that paradigm? Well, what I what I think, and it actually is a little little bit different is that these people actually believe in Joseph. Um, they haven't cast Joseph aside. What they have cast aside is is something that's happened after Joseph Smith established the truth, and they will invariably point their finger. I mean, they may point it at Joseph and the Nauvoo Saints, saying that it, you know one of the earliest ones, uh, Denver Snuffer, um, who I've met and and uh, we've we've chatted. I, he's a very nice guy, but he has promoted some ideas that squarely fit into this uh, that Joseph started right and then Joseph went wrong. But more commonly, they will say Joseph started right and Brigham was right. John. Taylor Taylor was right, but the 1890 manifesto was wrong. Um, that's probably the most common one that the, the Mormon fundamentalist polygamists will, will promote, and they're probably the largest group. But there are others like Denver, who is not necessarily a fundamentalist, but who um, says, oh, no, you know, Joseph set it up, but then he lost it because they weren't taking the Book of Mormon seriously in 1833, or a, they were too slow to build the Nauvoo Temple in 1841, 42. Um, and, and so they point at some event in church history and say the church, you know, went astray. And so somehow they are able to associate themselves with a continuation of truth because the church went astray. And there's a variety of mechanisms that they choose to try to make that connection. Right. You actually assert that those who leave the faith need to demonstrate two things. And you say first that that it is that God would allow a disconnect to occur between the heavens and church leaders and its members. And second, that such a disconnection has occurred historically. 
Is that kind of what you're talking about in this situation, these disconnects? Yeah, totally. And and the, the most common way they go about this is they call it the Samuel principle. And I've read it over and over from so many different uh, sources. And, and what it is basically is that um, the Israelites wanted a king. And the prophet Samuel said, you don't want a king, but the Lord went ahead and gave the Israelites a king because they wanted it. And uh, another example that they give, and, and these are valid examples, is that Joseph Smith uh, was granted finally to give Martin Harris the, the 116 pages, even though the first couple of answers were negative. And, and so they reasoned that the church in 1890 or in 1841 or 1833 chose wrong, and so the Lord just went ahead and let him apostatize, essentially, because he has to respect common consent, and this is what they wanted. And, and the, the problem with that is that's not the way the Lord usually does it. They pick, they, they proof text this, the scriptures, grabbing on a couple of examples that make them feel good about this idea, and they ignore the rest of it. The way the Lord works with his people when they go astray is to send prophets to them to bring them back. And I, I have a couple of quotes in here, one from Brigham Young and one from Wilford Woodruff, saying very plainly that the Lord was not going to let the church go astray, that if Brigham Young or Wilford Woodruff or any other leader tried to lead them astray, the Lord would take them. Lord has total control over life and death and who rises to the leadership of the church. There's no reason that the Lord would, is obligated to let false leaders or let the membership sway a leader to do the wrong thing. That is not the way the religious history goes, even though you can find a couple of little examples, the Samuel principle being the primary, that they like to repeat over and over. Well, one of the things that I constantly see with, let's again go back to these this idea of dissenters, is that there seems to be this idea that they need to make God appear to be the victim of our choices. And I think that when, when you deal with a section like polygamy, uh, there are a lot of different opinions, and it does seem to be this, there's, there's an element of deciding whether or not God wanted polygamy to be there in the first place. What do you find is the core reason that people have a hard time with polygamy? Is it the way Joseph enacted polygamy, or is it polygamy just, it doesn't matter who was doing it, they have a problem with polygamy? Boy, there are so many, there's a lot of things negative about polygamy. From a woman's standpoint, it expands a man's social or it expands a man's sexual and emotional opportunities as a husband as it simultaneously diminishes a wife's sexual and emotional opportunities as a wife. You cannot defend polygamy as being uh, fair or as being non-sexist. You just can't do it in my mind. And I remember I had some friends who were going to try to put together, uh, it was part of a website, a bunch of, of uh, testimonials from women in the 1880s. And you can find them. You could put together several from women defending it valiantly and right. dramatically. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, when you get inside of it, you just can't do that. I mean, they were just doing it because it was their faith. It was a manifestation of their faith and desire to serve God. But as a practice, it isn't fair. You know, the man expands and the woman contracts, and you can't do it. The other real problem, though, um, historically, within you mentioned Joseph Smith, is that any time you put together sex and religion, you've got an explosive topic. And unless you already believe Joseph was a prophet, it's pretty hard to hear the word Joseph and polygamy and not think libido. Right. You know, it's just the default, oh, yeah, we know that was it. And, and to think that this was a theological necessity is just 
eye-rolling territory for 99% of your non-Mormon listener. You, you've got to have a, a belief in Joseph Smith as a prophet before you can even start looking at his theology. And for those who want to go to the, to this new website and, and click on the theology, there'll be something new there that people probably have not thought about. And you may discover some of the things you did think really can't be traced back to Joseph Smith as to why. Um, the real reason, and, and I know we're a little off topic from the dissenter, but I, I want to promote this, is Joseph Smith taught that every man and woman needs to have a spouse or you can't be exalted. And, and he was told about plural marriage and eternal marriage at the same time he was asking about polygamy. And so what polygamy does is it allows every worthy woman to have a spouse. That is the theological reason. It's eternal. It's far more important than multiply and replenish the earth or restitution of all things or a trial. And, and that's something that, that I'm, I'm hoping people will be able to embrace because it does make good sense if we put it into a theological context. Well, the, the article uses issues surrounding polygamy, as we've talked about, as sort of an example of how certain arguments are made about the church and, and this wide kind of spread apostasy feeling, uh, you know, following unrighteous leaders and so on. But these principles can be applied to other issues that might challenge a person's faith as well, right? I mean, you just kind of put... Joseph Smith polygamy in here, but when you're talking about people that are dissenters, that happens on a lot of different levels. Oh, yes. In fact, um, some people have heard about apostasies over in Europe that have been occurring, and one a group put together a list of 15 things that were bothering them. It's on the internet, and Salt Lake Messenger published it. Um, and I looked over those, and uh, two or three of them were polygamy, I think just two, and I responded to them. One was polyandry, and I forget the other, and I wrote a response that was unfair, is unfair someplace. Um, and some of them were kind of nitpicky, like, why do we portray Joseph p- translating the plates with a Urim and Thummim when somebody says it was all done with a stone and a hat? So they're complaining about photograph or pictures that are being Depictions. displayed, which is which is kind of petty in my mind. Plus, if you read Oliver Cowdery, he said it was the interpreters that Joseph used. So they're isolating one quote from from David Whitmer and ignoring one from Oliver Cowdery, who was the primary scribe. But that was the number one thing that they listed. And then there's a bunch of other ones. And I'm not an expert on these others, but I looked them over and I've done enough reading on that they aren't on my list of reasons to doubt. There wasn't a single thing on their <laughs> yeah. list of 50 that caused me any concern. Well, there's a, there's a little bit of irony in the arguments that some of these dissenters have used in the past, and you, you address that with this, this following quote from the article. Uh, it says, quote, Without exception, dissenters today believe the leaders of the church depend on man's wisdom to lead because they have lost the ability to converse with God and his son, end quote. Now, the irony for me is that it would appear that these individuals are groups that are attacking leaders for using man's wisdom as if it were some lesser way to operate. But these same groups often turn to man's wisdom, uh, their own perceptions of historical evidences, presentism, things like that, as a superior way to look at these same issues. So it, it seems as if they're doing, they're, they're critical of church leaders for the exact same thing that they're doing. Is that is that a, a fair assessment of the irony, or do you see that happening, or is that just in my own head? Oh, no, I, I would agree with you totally, um, and I appreciate the way you summarize that. For them to all come out and say, God has led me to do this, is a little bit problematic for a couple of reasons. Um, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the quote where Joseph Smith said that I will inform you 
that it is contrary to the economy of God for any member of the church or anyone to receive instructions for those in authority higher than themselves. So by saying, well, look, we know that we should be ordaining women, the person is saying that they know more than Joseph or, or something is amiss. And Joseph warned us. He said there are false spirits out there wanting to to influence us to do things. And so for me, when I hear that argument, for, for example, that we should be ordaining women, I'm saying, okay, where is this coming from? Is this your wisdom? Did you have inspiration? And did that angel or whoever tell you Joseph was wrong? Or how do you get around Joseph's very plain language that that is not the economy of heaven? And so those are the, the kind of questions that I would have for them. You make kind of a bold assertion near the end of the article. Dissenters are an apostasy. I'm sure you're going to get some responses from that. Uh, but first of all, why make that assertion? It's a plea to them. And and nobody likes an in-your-face um, declaration, and this may be too strong. And as I look at it here, I see that it is. On the other hand, we need to, to make sure for the members, uh, if we read Alma 5, um, like third or fourth verse from the end, it talks about making sure that the sheep know who the wolves are. Section 64, it's like verse 3 and 4, talk about the leaders and how they have to excommunicate these people. And that's that brings glory to God. And and it's it's an obligation on the leaders, not on me. And I like I say, I may be too strong worded here, but the principle is accurate that that these people are an apostasy and we invite them back. Please, I hope at some point we you mentioned how I end the article. Maybe I can throw that in here. Yeah, you're um, talking about the appendix to the article there? Well, or? no, actually it is. Um, as Joseph Smith wrote to W.W. W. Phelps, who had previously vilified the prophet but repented and desired forgiveness, Joseph Smith said, Come on, dear brother, since the war is past, for friends at first are friends at last. And so really, the, even though there, there is some strong words there, um, I'm— there's an opportunity for all of us to become one in the faith, like Paul said. And, and it requires us, though, to believe in Joseph and to believe his words and, and to humble ourselves. Because really, in, inside of all of these who have left the church, there's an element of pride that they have a superior something. And they believe in Joseph, and then they, they've had, you know, some of them claim to have their own visions. And, and I, I really liked Brigham Young. I mean, he, he gave us a, a very nice quote. He said, that he had people come in and tell him about how, you know, they had Joseph Smith appear to him. He said, I say to such persons who tell about their visions, go ahead and get all the revelations you can. If Brother Joseph visits you every night, go ahead and tell him to bring Brother Hiram, Father Smith, Don Carlos Smith, St. Paul, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus Christ, if you can induce them to do so. And, and you know, <laughs> I think that's all tongue-in-cheek. But then he says this, I could— I could almost lay my hand on the Bible and swear that man has apostatized. He says, they tell me they're wonderful and great dreams and visions, but it just goes in my ears and out because he's here to build up Zion. And so this takes us back to, is the church in apostasy? I say it isn't, and that's where we need to be. Yeah. Well, in in some respects, what we're dealing with here is uh, when you use the term, you know, dissenters are in apostasy, some people take that as like a spiritual cancer, like you're... You're the oncologist saying you have apostasy and you have six months of spiritual life to live before you, you're gone. But apostasy is not a permanent condition. People like W.W. Phelps are, are proof of that. So your, your article becomes this, again, this letter of here's where you're, you're mistaken, but come back. I hope that's how they will see it. I don't want to offend anybody. On the other hand, we need to know where we are. You know, I had a, 
uh, polygamist. She was in the Kingston group. You know, they're out of Bountiful. And she explained it to me this way. She says, well, you know, we're trying to live polygamy. And if it turns out we're wrong, God will see that we're just trying real hard to do the right thing. And then he'll forgive us and we'll be in with you guys. So we really have nothing to lose. <laughs> and, and that is not Joseph's counsel. That's not what Joseph Smith taught. Um, people who are outside of the church, who are, are feigning ordinances that are not accurate, that are not valid— will not be blessed. I'm not their judge. I'm just saying as a general principle, if we believe Joseph, we've got to be very careful of taking ourselves outside of the ordinances and the authority to effectuate them is still here. Excellent. Well, Brian C. Hales is the author of the article, Dissenters, Portraying the Church as Wrong So They Can Be Right Without It. It's coming out in The Interpreter, a journal of Mormon scripture found at mormoninterpreter.com. Also, please take the time to go to the new revamped website, josephsmithspolygamy.org. Thank you again, Brian Hales, for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galetti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.